I hope if you have your Bibles, you will open them to John chapter 4. And even if you do have them and you have them open, we're going to have the Scripture passage on the overhead. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we want to be more like you. But to be honest, Lord, to ourselves and to you, we struggle. The old man that wants to take control continues to seek to fill our hearts and minds. And, Lord, so often we don't get serious with you except on Sunday mornings. But, Lord, I thank you for these moments that we can come into your presence and we can open your word. I pray, Father, that as we read about how your son helped this Samaritan woman to know that he was the living waters, that you'll remind us, Lord, as the song said, we are to feed a a hungry world. And I'm sure not just physical food, but spiritual food. Father, help us to see that there is a world around us that is thirsting for salvation. And Lord, help us to be the ones who will bring that word to them. Help us, Lord, to live before others as you did. And help, Father, that our lives would be a witness And an evidence, Father, that you are alive and that you will give everyone a second chance. So, Father, I pray that you'll take control of this service even as we read your word. I pray that the Holy Spirit of God will teach us what he wants us to know and what he wants us to do. And, Lord, if there be one here that has not yet come to know the living water, Lord, even in these moments, may they come to know your Son as their personal Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Follow with me, John chapter 4, beginning with verse 30. Now, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. Now, verse 4, as we've mentioned, is one of the most powerful verses in this passage of Scripture. He had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Joseph gave his, that Jacob gave his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and so Jesus, wearied as he was with his journey, sat down beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Now, folks, I want to point something out beginning with verse 9. There is a progression of revelation of who Jesus is in this passage of Scripture. And I'm not using big words to give you any big theological concept here. But just listen to how this begins. Okay, verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Folks, this woman first sees Jesus as a Jew who would not have any respect whatsoever for her. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself and his sons and his cattle? 
Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. The water that I shall give him will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have five husbands. You have had five husbands, and he whom you now have is not your husband. This you said truly. The woman said to him, Now look, here's the second step in this progression of revelation. You remember back in verse 9, she saw Jesus as a Jew, correct? Now look at this verse, verse 19. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. And she's now going to get into a discussion about religion and about her preference of her religion. Folks, this is just like somebody saying to, to a lost person, are you a Christian? And they look at them and say, well, I'm a Baptist. Listen to what Jesus says, verse 20, uh, what the woman says. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. You see, she's kind of trying to argue with Jesus. The Samaritans worship at Mount Gerizim. The Jews worship in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for to such the Father seeks to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will show us all things. And folks, verse 26, highlight it, mark it, put stars by it. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. He is confessing to her, I am the Messiah, I am the Christ. Just then, now the conversation is literally interrupted by the return of the disciples. Just then his disciples came, they marveled that he was talking with a woman, but none said. Now this is what they're thinking, but none said let me get you to back. But none said, I got this, but none said, what do you wish? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar, went away into the city and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? The folks at the beginning of the story, Jesus is a Jew and the woman really doesn't want to talk to him. As Jesus begins to tell her, he knows about her life. She says, you're a prophet. And now... She knows that he is the Christ. Isn't that the goal that God wants for all of us, that we would know Jesus as the Christ, as the Son of God, as the Savior of the world? And folks, look at the next verses, and uh, this is going to be toward the end of the story. Uh, Chapter 4, verse 39 and following, many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Again, put that in your mind. Just keep it there. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of your words that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this indeed is the Savior of the world. This indeed is the Savior of the world.
Folks, what a beautiful, beautiful story. Let me remind you once again what we have been studying. And that is that the Bible is full of examples of God, of God giving people a second chance. Steve, if you'll go to the next one. And again, we've already studied several of these. Peter and the disciples in Matthew 26. Jonah, the Old Testament prophet. And here, last Sunday today and probably next Sunday, we'll study about this woman to whom God gives a revelation of who he is and also a second chance. We're also going to look in coming weeks at the woman caught in adultery, John 8, Saul of Tarsus, King David. And I hope as we do all of this <clears throat> that God is speaking to your heart about the second chance that he wants to give to you and to me. And brother, I don't know how you feel about it, but I need more than a second chance. I need a third and a fourth and a fifth throughout the rest of my life. I am grateful that God is going to keep working with me and working with you and working with our church. He will not give up on us. Thank the Lord for that. But folks, let's review quickly from last week. In John chapter 4, Jesus is ministering to a variety of people. This sinful woman of Samaria, his own disciples. You see, one of the struggles that the disciples are having is that they are seeing the very heart of Jesus being revealed. And it's tough on them. Also, many Samaritans of Sychar become believers. And folks, this is absolutely astounding that in the Samaritan area, an area that the Jewish people were neglecting, that the Spirit of God was working in hearts and people were coming to know the Lord and as the chapter concludes, Jesus heals an official son. But you and I found out last week that Satan was trying to disrupt and destroy the ministry of Jesus. He was trying to incite competition between the disciples of John the Baptist and Jesus' disciples. And as you notice a transition from John chapter 3 and chapter 4, John the Baptist is beginning to fade out of sight and Jesus is becoming more and more prominent. And you remember what John said to one of the Jews that was trying to incite competition. He said, Jesus must increase, but I must decrease. Folks, one of the worst things that can happen to you and me as a Christian and can happen to this church is when pride and arrogance begins to set in. Because we will lose being like Jesus and will stop ministering to all people whenever we do that. And Satan will seek to divide us by rejection of others, by separation, by racial prejudice. For over 700 years, the Jewish and Samaritan people had hated each other. But remember what Jesus taught his disciples. And I, again, I want to read these verses. Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Jesus, the resurrected Lord, said, Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you always to the close of the age. And folks, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and again, I know you hear this verse so often, but look, this is God's plan. This is God's plan for his church and for his people. Jesus says to those disciples, and at that time there were probably only about 120 believers, and Jesus told them you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses. And listen to how Jesus maps this out. They would begin in Jerusalem, right where they were. They would go to Judea, which was the next region, the next county, so to speak. They would go to Samaria. 
and they go to the ends of the earth. And folks, that literally happens in the book of Acts. Chapter 2, the gospel goes to Jerusalem and to Judea. Chapter 8, the gospel goes to Samaria. Chapter 9, the gospel goes to the rest of the world. God has got a plan. And so often we fail, but he gives us a second chance. So here we go. Let's jump in from last Sunday. And let's look again at the disciples. The disciples are having difficulty with understanding what Jesus is doing. And I believe, first of all, they did not understand why Jesus chose to go through Samaria. And let me show you something. This came out of one of the Bible commentaries, the Bible knowledge commentary. Steve, if you go to the next overhead. And, and I wish it were a little bit bigger. Well, it is on the back back here, isn't it? and I'm looking at a smaller screen. But can you notice down toward the bottom, there's a section called Judea? You see, the, the Holy Land was divided up. I've never been there, but I, I'm told that the Holy Land was divided up into regions, just like Person County, Granville County, Caswell County, Halifax County, Durham County. Folks, there were little regional areas. Jesus is in Judea. And he's wanting to go to Galilee. You see on the upper part, the little region of Galilee. But there's, there's a county or a district between Judea and Galilee where he wants to go called Samaria. Everybody got that? All right. There were three routes that Jews could possibly take. And let me point out number one, the next frame, Steve. They would go around Samaria. You see that yellow line? When they left Judea, they would not go through Samaria but they would go around into a region called Perea and they'd come back through Decapolis and wind up in Judea, I mean in Galilee. So they would not go through Samaria. A second route is outlined in purple. They would leave Jerusalem and go by the coastline, not out into the water, but go by the coastline to keep from going through Samaria and they they'd wind up in Galilee, or there was a third route. And if the person took this route, it was straight through Samaria. But let me tell you an old joke that I heard back in college. There were two ants sitting on a saltine box. I know y'all are going to really love this joke. That's why I want to tell it to you. There were, there were two ants sitting on a saltine box, and they're sitting there having a conversation. All of a sudden, they look, and they see on the other edge of the box one of their fellow ants, and he comes running across that box as fast as he could, and they thought maybe something was after him. And when he stopped and they looked, nothing was behind him. And they said, why did you run across the box so fast? And the ant said, I read on the other side of the box, cut across, dotted line. <laughs> Y'all won't get that until this afternoon, all right? Look. Aren't you glad I told you that? And I get paid for this. Isn't that amazing? If a Jew went through Samaria, if they had to go through Samaria, they would go, they'd cut across the dotted line. They'd go just as fast as they could. They would not stop. They would not talk to anybody. They'd get through there just as fast as they can. But folks, what does the Lord Jesus do? First of all, as the King James says, he must needs go through Samaria. Folks, Jesus went to a well. How long does Jesus stay in Samaria? We know two days, right? We've already read that. But folks, what happened to the disciples? 
You see, the disciples did not want to be seen in Samaria. They would have wanted to take one of the other routes. And so, folks, in verse 8 it says, His disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. I think I mentioned this last week. Now, think about this for just a second. There are 12 disciples, right? And they've left everything. they followed Jesus. And Jesus is a pauper in that he doesn't have a job. These disciples have left everything. So, folks, I got to tell you, the whole group is broke. I'm not trying to be sarcastic, but do you think that a bunch of broke men would have enough money for 12 men to take to tote the groceries? Here's my point. These guys did not want to be seen with Jesus in Samaria. And let me ask you something. And, and this question just jumps out at me. Is there anywhere that you and I would be ashamed to go with the Lord Jesus Christ? You know, I think about these missionaries that go to these foreign countries. I think about these missionaries within our own country that go into some of the most difficult cities and places in our world. But they're not ashamed to do it because they feel compelled and led of God to do that. You know, these early disciples struggled with ministering in Samaria. And let me give you another example of that. Let me read out of Acts chapter 8, verse 1 and 5. Okay, look at verse 1. And Saul was consenting to, the, to his death. That's the tail end of chapter 7 where the people have stoned Stephen. On that day, a great persecution arose against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria. As the early Christians began to be persecuted, they not only left town because of persecution, they left town to take the gospel out. And folks, is it not strange that what the world thought would happen that would shut up the church actually fired the church up? You know, sometimes I wonder, I don't want to be persecuted, but sometimes I wonder if it wouldn't fire the church of Jesus Christ up if people started threatening us and saying, we don't want to hear the gospel anymore. But folks, these folks were being persecuted. So they started going out, they started in Judea, and then they started going to Samaria. Now look at the last three words, except the apostles. Now, I'm not trying to make these bad guys. That's not what I mean. But for some reason, they stayed in Jerusalem. And fast forward to verse 5 in chapter 8. Philip, you remember who Philip was? He was one of the table waiters, one of the first deacons. He went down to a city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. Well, folks, a revival broke out in Samaria to the point that the disciples sent some of their fellow disciples to go down and see what was going on. Folks, here's my whole point in this. The disciples were afraid to be seen with some of the suspects who might come to where Jesus was at the well or anywhere in Samaria. And folks, that is echoed in chapter 4 of John, verse 27. And this is going to come back on the screen again. Just then the disciples came, they marveled that he was talking with a woman, but none said, what do you wish or why are you talking with her? Folks, these disciples did not understand Jesus' personality. Now, again, I, I hope you'll understand what I'm trying to say now. Jesus spoke to everybody. You know that? Now, folks, I know everybody's personality is different. I know that many of you, it is a hard thing to just up and say something. Now, I can appreciate that, folks. Thank God everybody is not like me. Amen? I, I mean, I love talking. But, folks, 
there's something I see about our Lord here. Our Lord wanted to help others. Folks, do you and I intentionally seek to communicate with others and build relationships with others? Or do we avoid others? Do we overlook them? Do we turn away from them? Do we think that we are above them? I hope it will never be said of this church. I visited Theresa Church and nobody talked to me. (laughs) If you come to the 11 o'clock service, I remember Weldon and I were out visiting one day and, and a new family was coming and we said, I hope you felt welcome at our church. And, and the man looked at me and he said, look, I don't know who those two ladies are. One of them talks to you and one of them kisses you. Now, y'all figure out who those are, all right? <laughs> but folks, I'd much rather hear somebody say that about Theresa Baptist Church than we went to church and nobody spoke to us. They must have thought that they were better than we are. Let me tell you something. When we get to this place, we are all equal in the sight of God, and we're all sinners in need of grace. And we need the living waters. We need the living bread. Folks, the Lord, wherever he went, did not avoid people or overlook them or turn away from them. And as a Christian church, do we need for God to give us that second chance so that we can look at the lost world and see people that need the gospel? And there's a question that I've written for myself, and I want to share with you and I ask you to meditate upon this. Who are we leaving out of the kingdom of God? Who? Is there anybody that we would not want to witness to or share the gospel with? So why does Jesus, unlike the average Jewish traveler who would have went around Samaria, why does Jesus must, needs, go through Samaria? And I believe, Steve, we've got that on the overhead, don't we? Um, no, we don't. Wait a minute. Okay, that's all right. That's, that's what, yeah, you do. John 4, 4 in the King James Version. There it is right there. He must, needs, go through Samaria. Can you tell I'm not, I'm not with it this morning, am I? Why does Jesus want to go through Samaria. Let me give you three possible reasons, and I'm sure there are many more. Number one, this was a father's will for him. Isn't that not remarkable? Look at John chapter 4, verse 34. As the disciples are trying to get Jesus to eat something, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. All of Jesus' life was dedicated to the will of God. That's why he could go to the cross. Is my life, your life, is the life of this church dedicated to the will of God? And folks, let me point something out. When you and I are dedicated to the will of God, guess what will happen? Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. There's so many things that we need to be doing as a church and as Christians, but one of the prime functions of this church, of my life and your life, should be to seek and to save the lost. I can't save anybody, but I can tell them about the Savior. So Jesus goes through Samaria because that was the Father's will. Secondly, there was a lost-searching woman who needed a Savior who would be at the well. And he is God, and he knows that. Isn't it amazing that when you and I give ourselves over to be a witness for Christ, of the incidental contacts we have with people? Isn't it? You know, 
I've, I've experienced it before where I was going to see somebody and ran into somebody else. And guess what? The person that I ran into was the one that God wanted me to be with that day and meet and talk with and share with. I've had that happen in my own life also. The disciples needed not only to learn the scope and extent of Jesus' ministry, but to know that his minist- their ministries would be to all nations. Look at John chapter 4, verse 35. And again, we didn't read these earlier. But Jesus says to his disciples, Do you not say there yet four months, then comes the harvest? I tell you, lift up your eyes and see how the fields are already white for harvest. Folks, let me tell you something. Around this church, we don't have to go to a foreign country. We don't have to leave Person County to find that the fields are white under harvest. There are many people that do not yet know the Lord. I'm not belittling them or criticizing them. Been there. And know about that. I'm grateful that someone came to 123 Kendrick Street where we lived. Folks, God wants us to go into this community. Folks, we don't have to beat people over the head with the Bible. We don't necessarily have to be able to quote Scripture to them, but they want to see Jesus Christ in us. And they want us to love them. That's what they're looking for. Church experts are beginning to say again, that it is not just the programs that a church has, but it is the willingness of the church to invite other people to come hear the Word of God. And lest we forget, and I'm bad about this, lest we forget it is still our duty to invite others to come to this place of worship. How long has it been since we asked somebody, would you come to church with me? You can come sit on the pew where I sit, I started to say my pew. <laughs> That's a no-no in a Baptist church, isn't it? <laughs> Folks, I just want to, just, just a challenge, okay? And I'm going to be honest with you, didn't get near as far as I, I was hoping to get today. And I hope telling the ant joke didn't take up too much time. I still think that's a funny joke. I just want you all to know that, all right? How long has it been? You know, have we gotten big enough to where we're satisfied? You know, we're, we're meeting the budget. Um, we have good attendance. But, folks, you know, God's concerned about more than that. He's concerned about that lost person beyond the walls of this church. Remember the person that came to you. And it might have been your parents. And thank God for Christian parents who will bring their children to the house of God, whether it's at Theresa or whatever church. Would you invite someone to come to church this week? Folks, I'm going to to close with this, okay? And I, I got a whole lot more notes. But one of the points that I wanted to make is that Jesus did not judge. And that's a powerful, powerful statement. Jesus knew this woman's life, and I'll get into this next week. But he did not judge her. He offered her the living waters. Would we take a, a good, honest look at ourselves, even as Christians? Because, folks, isn't it a great temptation and for many a great pleasure to judge others? Isn't it? And I'm wondering sometimes if our judgmental spirit is keeping us from ministering to the needs of others. 
And I'm just going to cut to the chase and get what point I wanted to make. And I'm guilty of what I'm getting ready to share with you. If you get the Courier Times, how many of us reading the stories and looking at the pictures yesterday of people who had been caught in the drug raids, how many of us have already judged them? We might not realize it, but Satan wants to tempt us to sit in these walls and think that we're better than people that don't come. And because our name is on the church roll, then we're better somehow than others. Let me tell you something. When we fall before the Lord at the cross, we're all equal. We've got to remember that. And the church that forgets that is condemning itself to eventually close its doors. When we stop loving a lost and sinful world, regardless of how bad we think they become, we've lost our focus on the mission. Jesus could have gone around the other two routes, but he went through Samaria to meet this woman, to tell her, I am more than a Jew, I am more than a prophet, I am the very Son of God, the Messiah, and Savior of the world. Would we be willing to leave this place today and be that type of example to a world that needs a Savior? to a world that is thirsting, to a world that is lost in sin, to a world who doesn't need to be judged because they themselves already know who they are. They need to know about the Savior that loves them. May God help us to do that. Let's pray together. Father, Lord, I pray in your divine plan for this morning that, Lord, we got to the point we needed to get to today. And that things have been said that have stirred our hearts as Christians and as a church and have touched us to see that it is so important that we be in the center of your will and that we take the right route. Lord, perhaps many of us are walking around and walking by those that need a Savior in our day-to-day activity. Perhaps, Father, all they want is to hear a Christian say, may I tell you about the Savior, or may I invite you to church or to Sunday school, or may I simply just say a prayer for you. Lord, all of our personalities are different. Some of us can talk to a fence post. Some of us are bashful and shy. Some of us feel confident enough to scare pass, uh, share passages of Scripture Some of us are afraid, Lord, because we might say the wrong thing or we might fail. God, please revive our hearts. Help us to see the true picture of your son, that he simply loved everybody that he came in contact with. He knew of their sin, but yet he did not condemn, but he pointed them to your love and mercy. Lord God, I just pray that you'll bless our church. Lord, we're not about numbers here, but we want to see this harvest come in that your son talked about. And help us to see it's right beyond the walls of this church. 
and people desire for us to live each day as a Christian and to share the love of Christ with them. And I just pray, Lord, that we'll be found faithful. In these moments of invitation, I pray that you'll speak to our hearts. Lord, start a new work in all of us as Christians. Lord, may we not become apathetic or happy with where we're at, but Lord, may we say, Lord Jesus, forgive my sin and help me to be more like you. And use me, use me. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.